Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about the church and how the church can be a messy place. Now, when I say a messy place, I'm not talking about an issue with a custodial service, all right? I'm talking about the church, the life of the church can be a place where you experience messy people with messy issues that come before we know a God that can deal with all of our messes, right? I mean, I mean that's who we are. We, we have issues when we come together because we live in a world, we're imperfect, there are all kinds of things. When you put people together, you're going to have some kind of issues. It's just the way it happens. And even in the New Testament world, even in that early church life, there were issues. Because people have always been people. Right? Okay, I know some of you slept in maybe a little bit this morning. But I need you to wake up by 926. All right? I mean, it, it can be a messy place. I mean, people are people and they always have been people. When you read through the scripture, I hope that you see that the people of the Old Testament, the people of the New Testament, they deal with some of the same struggles that you and I deal with even today. And that's what is so encouraging to us, or it should be, as we look at those who had those challenges, who had those issues, and yet they were able to overcome these things. In the early church, you had people that had all kinds of issues, and coming together, there was conflict. Sometimes there was conflict over the message. Here early in chapter 15, you see that as the Jerusalem Council comes together, as the people of God try to deal with the theology, the doctrine, and really the heart of the gospel, there's an issue. But whereas you have an issue with the message in the early part of the chapter... Now you have an issue with a mission. You have an issue of how the mission will be carried out. You have literally a disagreement among the missionaries themselves. So I want to get into this today, and hopefully God will speak to us and encourage us and remind us that there can be division. Hopefully God will bring resolution for us, but we know that despite our failures, God will give his triumph, his victory, and we will see multiplication even through division. Look, if you will, beginning verse 36. It says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul looked at Barnabas after he'd been back to Antioch. They had been of course, worshiping together, they've been studying together. And Paul said, you know what? It would be good for us to go back in the same areas and visit those churches we did on the first missionary journey. And, and let's see how they're doing. Because Paul loved the church. He loved the local church itself. You know that because the scripture says he prayed for them. Look at his letters. Oftentimes he would be praying for those churches. If you love your church, you ought to pray for your church. Would you agree? So he loved those churches. He was praying for them. He would write letters to them to keep in touch, especially to address any kind of issues because he loved them. He would write love letters, if you will. Sometimes they had a little bit of a terse type of uh, demeanor about them because he had to deal with some difficulties. But he loved them. 
And then he would go and he would visit them. He said, I want to go back. I'd like to, like to see them. You, you've had some of those places before. Maybe some of you I know have been here all your life, right? Some of you? Dwight, you've been here all 100 years of your life, right? You've been at Temple, so I know you haven't been anywhere else, and you don't go visit, which is probably good. But, um, but there are some of us that have been in churches before, and like, we'll go back. It's nice to see the people. It's nice to, to see their ministry, to see their work, and you get to visit with them a little bit. Paul looks at Barnabas, and he says, I think we ought to go back. Those people that have accepted Christ, and they formed their churches, we ought to go back, and we ought to see them. That sounds like a great plan until you get into the logistics of the plan. Look at what it says. It says in verse 37, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So it's a good plan that... We're going to go back and visit those churches. But there's an issue here. Barnabas insists, like he keeps on, the, the verbiage is that he keeps on insisting that John, the, John, surname Mark, John Mark, that John Mark would go with them. And Paul says, not going to happen. Paul, John Mark is not going with us because he abandoned us Last time. On the first missionary journey, John Mark was with us and he just left us. Paul says, he's not going. So you have a disagreement. Now see, I, I like this about Dr. Luke. He doesn't gloss over the issues of the first century church. He doesn't like just move on through. He doesn't just give us all the good high points. He gives us sometimes the difficulties. Uh, let, me, let me give you some truths this morning. First of all, I want to tell you this. Outside of God or except for God, no one is perfect. As a matter of fact, would you look at the person next to you and say, you're not perfect? <laughs> Vicki, you had a really, really good expression on your face. and I could have joined you in that, as a matter of fact. I wished I'd been sitting right there. As... No one is perfect. That is outside of God, not one individual is perfect. Now, I know some of you say, well, we, should, we could have known that before we even came into this place. Reggie, I, I don't know exactly how that's an earth-changing type of uh, message that you're giving. Well, you know, we, we know that, but yet it seems like sometimes we put certain people in certain areas. Like, especially, hey, Paul and Barnabas. If I were to tell you, talk to you about the Apostle Paul this morning, I mean, you and I would, would just simply think of him in a different level than us. But here, Dr. Luke, he doesn't gloss over anything. He just says they had some disagreements. They had a sharp disagreement. Again, I'm not sure I would have recorded it exactly like this. See, that's the reason God knew Luke through the Holy Spirit's inspiration would record exactly what he wanted. I, I'm not sure because, see, I would have wanted to try to kind of give the best image I could of Paul and Barnabas. I would, have even, I would have left this out. I mean, I probably would have talked more about Paul and how perfect he was and 
how even like his um, stature, for example, like he was the perfect 5'8 size. Um, he had probably dark hair and he weighed around 150 plus. Uh, you know, I, I would probably have tried to capture a better picture of the Apostle Paul. I would have tried to give you the best impression of Barnabas. But Luke, again, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, there was a day when the two of them had an issue. As a matter of fact, it affected their relationship. It affected the mission itself. I mean, here they are about to go back and try to strengthen the churches, and yet they themselves have a disagreement. There's no kumbaya moment here in this passage. As a matter of fact, if you look through it and you see the original language, it speaks to a sharp disagreement. Uh, the word there means to like sharpen. It is the idea of like a knife. Someone has said appropriately that a knife probably could not have cut the tension that was abounding between these two individuals. The word also can mean to convulse or to seize with anger. Listen, this was a moment where Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, and Barnabas, the one that we recognize as the son of encouragement, where they have such a disagreement that they burn with anger. It was a ruckus. Chuck Swindoll, he has an, a chapter in his book on Paul, and he calls this chapter the day when two missionaries duked it out. <laughs> Again, you usually don't think about missionaries having such conflict. I mean, you, you and I, when we think about missionaries, we think about people who are self-sacrificing, self they give of themselves. They have sold out completely to the Lord. They are ready to go anywhere and everywhere. And it seems like, again, they're on a different plane, a different level from us. Do you remember what I said? Outside of God, except for Him, no one is perfect. No one. So... This brings me back to that truth that I've expressed several times here. And that is when you look through the scripture and you see some of these spiritual heroes. You see a guy like Moses. You see a guy like Paul. You see a guy like Abraham. Or you see a guy like Barnabas. We must not forget that they are flesh and blood. And while they are like spiritual heroes to us, they are not the heroes of Scripture. Some of you look at me and say, but look at what they did. They are not the heroes of Scripture. There is one hero of Scripture, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one that was perfect. He is the only one that lived a life totally pleasing to the Father. Everybody else fell short. You did not receive salvation because of Paul. Well, let me say, because of Paul's sacrifice. Or Paul's perfect life. You did not receive salvation because Abraham was the perfect one. There was no perfect one outside of Jesus. 
And that's when I read through these passages, I'm reminded that they are not the heroes, even though God's using them and he is using them in such a big manner. Jesus is the one that is the perfect hero of the story. We are all inadequate. Because we are imperfect, as I've said before, that means that we will have some type of conflict here on this earth. There are so many times when, when people will say, how can Christians uh, have such disagreement? How can Christians have such issues within their churches? May I suggest to you, it is because we are not perfect. And if we've told the world something else, then I want to retract that statement. Because I want the world to hear that yes, we are saved, but we are not perfect. We are a work in process. God is still working on us. That old nature, that old nature just keeps coming back. I, now listen, I have a new nature through Jesus. I'm a new creature. But what I see in this world is like the old nature keeps struggling. Did your old nature ever come back? Like, I mean, when you went and you just tried to like put him in the closet or put her in the closet like and you just locked them away and it was like hey I'm totally new I'm a new nature I never have any kind of temptation anymore I've totally arrived that's about the moment when he comes obviously with a dose of pride in our life he comes and he tries to tempt us or bring us back Paul and Barnabas they have an issue because they're not perfect None of us are. Let me give you a second truth. My mama used to always say this. I'm not saying mama's points are good sermon uh, points sometimes. But every now and then she hit a good one. She said this. There are two sides to every story. There are two sides to every story. Actually, the way she used to say it, I don't know if you've ever heard this. She'd say, there's six to one and half a dozen to the other. When I was growing up, that confused me. I, I know I was raised in North Mississippi, so we had challenge, challenges with math anyway, but still, six to one and a half of that, I was like, come on, Mom, that means it's just the same. Like, there's, it's just six, six, half, that's it. There are two sides to most every story, especially in disagreements in the church's life. I want to I say this, and I want you to hear this. Good people can disagree for good reasons. Did you hear me? Amen. Good people can disagree for good reasons. You and I shouldn't be always upset when we disagree. I mean, we can have good reasons behind our disagreement. Paul and Barnabas, I think, both had pretty good reasons for their arguments. John Mark... I said he's the center of contention. John Mark left them. We do not know why he left them. We don't. The scripture doesn't really tell us. They're about to launch out into some very difficult areas. The weather's going to be difficult. The, the mountainous climb is going to be difficult. And obviously, there will be hostility of those who oppose the gospel. So perhaps Mark was homesick. Or perhaps Mark just didn't want to climb the mountain. Perhaps he didn't like the weather. 
I don't know what it was. Maybe he knew. Maybe there was something inside of him that knew that Paul was going to face some difficulties. Paul and Barnabas, and he said, I don't want a part of it. Because if you look at that first missionary journey, Paul gets like run out of like two towns, and then he gets stoned in another one. There is open conflict, worshiped as God one day, and then berated the next day. Maybe John Mark just says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. The point is, he left. And Barnabas, the person of grace, the son of encouragement, looks at his cousin. Oh yeah, don't forget, we're reminded in the book of Colossians that, that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. And blood is pretty thick, right? Come on, come on. It's thick in Lincoln Parish and Union Parish and Jackson Parish. I've been up here long enough to know you don't say anything about somebody's family. Anybody, because they're all family. You don't say a word. So there's John, John Mark, his cousin. And the son of encouragement says, I want to I take Barnabas. As a matter of fact, I don't want to just take it. I insist that we take him. Like, I mean, Barnabas wasn't backing down. He had a good argument because Barnabas, he was a man of second chances. He said, we ought to give him a second chance. Grace. Doesn't that sound awesome? That he would extend grace to somebody else? But let me, let me, let me just stop a moment and play Paul's side. Because I want to show you there are two sides. They're, they're disagreeing over some I think good reasons. Paul says, hey, we can't count on him. The scripture, see, each one of them has scripture, I think. Barnabas could give you all type of scripture on grace. Paul, he would talk to you about the scripture on faithfulness. And Paul would be like, listen, we couldn't count on him before. He wasn't faithful to us. Until he proves himself, he can't go with us again. I can't, I can't risk it. I can't risk being on this mission trip and I, I'm, I'm counting on him and he forsake us or abandon us again. Now, while some of us would like to say we were Barnabas, there were probably more of us in this place like Paul. Some years ago, I see Scott and Robin back there that were in the Zachary Church and they remember a guy named Mike Madlock. Mike was an executive with Dow Chemical, and he became my personnel chairman at First Zachary. And I loved him, love him to this day. He's down in Houston with his grandkids now, retired, but he taught me so much about people and personnel. And he said, Reggie, he said, you got to remember there are different types of people. He said, specifically, you have task-oriented people, and you have people-oriented people. I said, what does that mean, Mike? It means there are the task-oriented who their idea is like, get it done. We got to get it completed. We've got to accomplish it. And then you have those who are more people-oriented. And what they think about is the person 
behind the task. So let's say that um, you have a task to complete and maybe um, let's say after this service, some of you are um, going to go and eat. You're just going to skip Bible study, right? No, no, you're not. No. I've got to leave right after this because they moved my plane up a little bit and I'm going to have to leave, but you better be staying. And for the 1115 gathering, I'm sorry you're watching me on video, but you get the larger than life, Reggie, today. That's what you do. <laughs> Let's say you got to go eat. Well, if you've got a lot of people, that means you got to go. You got to get a table. You got to get all the stuff, right? So as soon as, no, 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 no. Before Dwight says amen at the end of this service, you're going to be out the door. Oh, you'd love to visit people, but you ain't got time today. If you don't get to that restaurant, the Methodists will beat you there. <laughs> you got to go. You know what? I bet you're a task-oriented person. You may be married to a people-oriented individual. And you know what will happen? That people-oriented individual, instead of moving like you told them to during the prayer, they will stay back until the amen is said, and then they will speak to everybody on the way out. Right? They have no concept of time, no concept of purpose or plan. What I have found through the years in church life so you need both. You need both. I tell our staff sometimes when we go through evaluations, I know which ones lean people-oriented, those who lean task-oriented. We need task-oriented people or we'd never get the job done. But we also need those who are people-oriented so that you're able to connect with people because it's not just about the task, it's about people. You need both. When I look at this passage... Paul is one of those that's focused on the mission, task-oriented. Barnabas, he's based on the man, or thinking about the man. He's people-oriented, which you would expect from the son of encouragement. Barnabas is like, for me, we need to see the redemption of John Mark. For Paul, he's thinking bigger. He said, we need to see the redemption of the mission We've got to do what is best for the mission. I, I just want you to see that there are two sides. Before you beat one up, think there are two specific sides. A.T. Robertson, who wrote some years ago, Prince of Southern Baptist, he said, No one can rightly blame Barnabas for giving his cousin John Mark a second chance nor Paul for fearing to risk him again. One's judgment may go with Paul, but one's heart would go with Barnabas. The head says, don't take him. The heart says, come on, John Mark, come with us. I just say to you that every time we disagree in the church's life, it doesn't mean that there are good people versus bad people. We can all have legitimate concerns and disagreements. We can come at it from different perspectives. 
But I want you to hear this today. The third truth I would give you is some things aren't worth it. What do you mean? Some things aren't worth just splitting up. Some things aren't worth dividing. Now, I say some things. There are some things that are worth it. Like back in chapter 15 earlier where they're having this great council and they're trying to determine the message that is the gospel. If for some reason, I don't think it ever would because God was guiding and leading, the Holy Spirit was empowering. But if they ever had accepted something other than the gospel of truth, the gospel of grace, the gospel of faith, if they had adopted a gospel of works, I believe there would have been a division among that early church. And rightly so. When somebody else preaches a gospel that is different from the scripture, then you and I ought to stand up and say, it is time for us to leave. So there are moments. I I would even say this, and I'm going to get in big trouble. But hey, I'm getting on a plane just a little while, and I'm going to be far from here for two weeks. If you have an issue, call Jason. He'll be back in the office on Tuesday. He would love to deal with your troubled spirit because he's on a cruise right now. He's resting, so he'll be back. He'll love to deal with you. I'm just going to say this, though. When a church takes a position that is immoral, that is ungodly, that somehow goes directly against the Scripture, then you and I have a responsibility to say, hey, it is time for us to step out of this place. If we cannot bring it back around, we can't fight for this, which is right, which is true. If we can't do it, it's time for us to go ahead and leave. And I don't care if it's Southern Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist all my life. I told you last week I was Southern Baptist by birth, but now I'm Southern Baptist by conviction. But I'll tell you this. If the Southern Baptists ever take a stance that is ungodly, immoral, that have embraced what this world gives and not what the truth gives, then you can call me gone. There are some things that are worth it. Folks, there are some things that aren't worth it. There's a top tier, but then there are so many. There's so many side streets we go down. Instead of walking down the main avenue, we go down these side streets. They're not worth it. Let me just suggest to you that this really wasn't worth getting that worked up about. The first part of chapter 15, yes. This part, no. It was not worth it. Do you know how many times we divide and argue over things that aren't worth it? So I began working in church life when I was 14. The church across the way over in the neighboring county had heard that I would go around and sing a little bit. And uh, they called me, and they said, hey, would you come sing for us one Sunday? I said, sure. So I showed up. Jeremy, I had my little box that I used to have back then. Jody, you know, because I didn't trust their sound people. (laughs) So I went ahead, and I had my little box with me. I sang a couple songs. I sat down. I walked out of the back door, and I heard a deacon say, We wanted a man for this, not a boy. What are you talking about? You don't let boys sing in the service? What do you, what, and I didn't know it, 
but I was being set up as a possible. Now, 14 years old, I was a possible music director. But the deacons all knew it, but I didn't know it. That's the way it goes. You know. Then they asked me back in about a month, and then I started leading. They said, we want you to lead music this time. Okay, I'll do that. So I led music, and then all of a sudden, this gig turned into a six-year deal. And the preacher would preach, and I would lead music, and man, it was a blessing. We'd see tremendous growth. We saw a church that was probably averaging about maybe 50, 60, grow to about 170 or something over a very short time. It was a great time in the life of the church. Uh, but oh, man, with growth comes all kinds of issues. And there were people that were beginning to feel pressed in their positions, I went up to uh, South Carolina for a Bible conference with my high school Bible teacher. Had a wonderful weekend. When I got back, I was called into the office and they said, you won't believe what happened. I said, what's that? And they said, we had a knockdown drag out of business meeting Sunday night. I said, what? I was probably about 16. I said, and I was still idealistic. I was like, what? Nobody fights in the church. They, oh, yeah, you should have heard what brother so-and-so said when he got up. And he said this, and he said, I said, hold on just a minute. I said, what, 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 what caused all this? Somebody put the wrong toner in the copier. <laughs> what? Yeah, they, you know, that copier's out at the pastor's office or the pastor's house in his study, and he doesn't, he lets every Dick and Harry come in there and somehow use that thing, and they messed it up, and it's going to cost us, and you know, that preacher, I can't believe he'd let people do that, and that toner was so, I mean, it's expensive stuff, and they got up, man, it was back and forth, and I said, you are kidding me. I got summoned to the house of one of the deacons that had led the challenge. He said, Reggie, I want you to know this is the reason I'm leaving the church. And this, and this, and this, and this. And I've been there all my life, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this. Of course, I'm going to be honest. I was sitting there as a 16-year-old saying, you know what? Ooh, if you had only said God had done some of those things. Because the ideal, it kind of. But he left the church. About two other deacons left the church. We only had like six, seven, so half of them left. Guys, gals, let me just tell you, some things aren't worth it. Some things are not worth affecting the unity of the local church over. If it's a doctrinal issue, if it's a moral issue, that's one thing. But the pragmatism, the practical, just whether or not you're going to take one of the guys along with you, But yet, verse 39 says, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. The dream team is broken. And it's a sad moment. Again, A.T. Robertson says, Paul and Barnabas parted in anger and both in sorrow. Paul owed more to Barnabas than to any other man. Barnabas was leaving the greatest spirit of the time and of all times. Now think about his statement there. Why had Paul even come to Antioch? 
because Barnabas had gone to get him, brought him over. Paul owed so much to Barnabas. But you know what? Barnabas owed a lot to Paul. Because Paul, oh, he could reason with those of his countrymen, and he could so clearly present the good news of Jesus. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet, this argument had brought them into difficulty. You know, sometimes I am so grateful that there are so many churches, for example, here in Ruston. I, I believe this. I believe God is most glorified when our churches in Ruston are the strongest, all of us. When you have a strong First Baptist, when you have a strong Emmanuel, when you have a strong Calvary, when you have a strong cook, when you have a strong temple, and I could go on and on. I'm going to stop there, though, with Baptist right now so I don't get in more trouble. I think we're strongest when we as churches do what God has called us to do and glorify him. Because I'm going to be honest, there are enough people in Lincoln Parish and beyond that need Jesus Christ that it could take all of us to reach people. But the flip side of it is this, and this might be the more difficult, is that just because we disagree with smaller issues, again, I say smaller issues, it gives us a, a much easier way to run from the problem than to face the problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times you need to leave. I'll never forget when I told my parents after Basically, 70 years at one church, I told them, I said, Mama, Daddy, you probably need to step out. Do it with grace. Don't say a word about that congregation because you got friends there. People, you probably, you probably need to because you can't worship there. It's not, you know, just, just go ahead, step out. But I think too many times instead of facing, facing those moments of reconciliation, we simply flee. But I want to share this with you finally. Is that despite all our failures and disagreements and difficulties, listen, God is greater. God is greater than our disagreements. God is greater than our failures. God is great. I'm not saying to you that he is always pleased with us. But what I know is, even when we mess up and fail, our God is greater to fulfill his mission and his purpose. How do I know that? Because look at this. It says, they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Because what God did, is what I said earlier, he took division and he multiplied it for missions. That's amazing. Our God is so good and so great, isn't he? See, because what happens now, instead of one team, you got two teams. You just multiply the missionary effort. Instead of them going one direction, they're actually going in two totally separate directions. Follow it on the map. 
Barnabas goes basically southwest toward Cyprus on a boat with John Mark. And you have Paul and Silas going by foot north. So even though I don't think it was quite God's intention that they would part in such an angry way, God took it. And God said, I'll multiply it. Straight licks with crooked sticks, right? God can hit them. He can make straight licks with crooked sticks. He does it all the time. Me, you. We should strive for reconciliation and hope. But we know our God is greater than even our failures and disagreements. Oh, yeah. And you know what? He not only multiplied the mission, he eventually multiplies the relationships. Because what you see later on is Paul and Barnabas, John Mark, they all are reconciled together. Man, that must have been a beautiful moment. We don't have it totally recorded in Scripture, so some of you say, well, how, how do you know they were brought together? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. The last letter that Paul will write. Remember, this is right before he's about to die. He knows it, too. He knows his time is coming. And in the final words of that letter, what does he say? He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. You're on your deathbed. You only want to see those that are close to you. You don't necessarily want to see those that you're on the outs with. But oh, Paul, he said, I know I'm here and it's getting close to the time God's going to call me home. You know who I'd like to see? I'd like to see John Mark. Because John Mark is profitable for the ministry. Oh, maybe one of these days we'll go back and talk more about how we do need to give people more grace some second chances, some opportunities. Because John Mark is effective for the ministry. That's what Paul said. Oh, and don't forget, he's given his name to one of the Gospels in our New Testament. Oh, yeah, that's right, the same one. Gospel of Mark says he was an interpreter for Simon Peter. So he worked with Peter and he wrote the Gospel. <laughs> The guy that was given up on in so many ways ends up writing the gospel and ends up ministering to Paul at the end. Why? Because God is greater than our disagreements. And see, I still believe this. I still believe God can bring us together as people. It breaks my heart when I see some who will hold grudges and they will not forgive other people. But what I know is that my God is great enough to melt those hostilities and to bring back a warmth of the relationships. Our God is greater. So today, just hear God's message. He gives us this messy story in Scripture so we might apply it to our own personal lives. For example, there's some in here that we just need to realize not, not everybody's perfect. Even Christians aren't. We shouldn't give up on the church or fellow believers just because they mess up. They're going to mess up, and so are we. 
We, we should remember that we don't just disagree because they're good people and bad people. We disagree sometimes because there are real arguments to be had, real reasons. But in the end, let's say that there is unity in the essentials and there is freedom in the non-essentials because we want to serve the Lord together. And let's praise him for being the God who can continue to move forth his mission and allow us to be the people he wants us to be. I would even say to you this morning, there may be a brother or sister of yours in this place you need to go to and, and really work it out. Today, after this service, before you go home today, whatever, would you hear God's word to you? Would you let it minister? And would you make the things right? And would you look toward him in all things? We pray it now together. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and we do thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for the incredible unity that you've given us, the blessing. Father, I pray that you continue to do that. God, I pray that even when we disagree, that we'll recognize those things that are really worth it and those things are not worth it. God, I pray that you would work through our messiness, our brokenness, to extend your testimony, the testimony of your son to this community and beyond. Lord, we love you today because of who you are, because you are lovable. You are the God who was perfect, who forgave us, the imperfect. So God, we praise you. And God, I pray that we'd live with grace in our relationships, seeking forgiveness and extending forgiveness. And God, I pray that we'd not travel down the side streets, but we'd stay on the main avenue for your work and your mission. We pray it now in Jesus' name.